Yeah, what a privilege and what an honor it is to be here and to open God's word with you. I had to leave, I had to leave the worship because I was, I was getting wrecked. I, that song, Good, Good Father, has been very important to me. It's been very important. I was going earlier this year, not that many months ago actually, through a really tough time. And about, I think, I think I counted eight mornings in a row that the first thought that came to my mind as I would wake up in the morning was that song. And it was playing over in my head. The Lord knew exactly what I needed to hear. He knew exactly what I needed to focus on as I started the day. It had to be on him and his goodness. That had to be it. Because it couldn't be the circumstances that I was in because they looked pretty bleak. It looked pretty unjust to me. And yet, my identity, which was actually part of what was coming into question, at least in my own heart, the song tells me that my identity is that I am loved by him. And that that's the thing that's unshakable and unmovable and that will never change. Our environments change. Circumstances change. But the goodness of God and his faithfulness to us will never change. So this has been quite a, a year so far, a, a year of first, a year of some, some challenges. But I hope also, I hope also a year of a little bit more growth and a little bit uh, more depth in just knowing who God is and who he is for me. So I'm going to, uh, we're going to put up uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 9 and 11. This is, this is just kind of, uh, do you, anybody do the one-year Bible? The one-year chronological Bible? You guys have other ways of studying the Bible? Okay, that, <laughs> I, I, I do the one-year Bible, right? Tells me what I'm supposed to read every day. And, uh, and if you come to my house, and by the way, you're all invited this afternoon. Come on over. I've made you Mexican food. Just kidding. Don't come. Uh, <laughs> if you come to my house, you'll see in our little guest bathroom, which is kind of like my early morning restroom. Way too much information, huh? Um, you will find my one-year Bible on the tank. <laughs> the idea is that I would read the Bible regularly. So anyway, just right there. <laughs> there you go. Come on. You got it. <laughs> so earlier this week, uh, the New Testament reading is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And you know, this, this chapter is like, I'm so tired of hearing about this. If you had this as one of your passages, if this was your text at your wedding, please forgive what I'm about to say. This passage wasn't really intended for wedding ceremonies. It was much more intended. Okay, please forgive me. Right, grace, grace and mercy. It was really intended, as you look at the context of chapters 12 and 13 and 14, about how we live out with what God has given to us. And all of the deposits that he's placed in us, he's saying, this is how it looks. But, but embedded in chapter 13 are these wonderful verses that I love. Because Paul reminds us, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. And then verse 11 nailed me. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And then the question came. The Holy Spirit says, Ed, are you willing to ask me the question? Have you given up childish ways? Or is there still more childish stuff in you? 
doesn't matter how many gray hairs I have. There's still like this little kid in there that wants his own way. And so, yeah, I was confronted. By the way, do you welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit? I, I heard a guest speaker a few, just, just a few years ago by the name of Joyce Dawson. And she asked a question. A thousand people were sitting there. And she said, do you like the conviction of the Holy Spirit? And my first instinct was, no way. I don't like that. And then she said, I do. I love it. Because it's God's way of saying he wants me to draw close to him and that nothing will be in between us. And so in that message, within about 20 seconds or less, I changed my entire perspective. I welcome the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I embrace it as God's invitation into more of him as opposed to, don't tell me about it. Because I, like I like to kind of like just neglect to deal with the real stuff. But he doesn't want me to get away with that. Okay, one more. This is, by the way, in case you're wondering, this is the introduction to the message. Okay? Um, what, what, a quote this time. Uh, on vacation, my family and I, we go camping. I should have brought you pictures of our camping trip. Because where we go, it's just so beautiful. For about the last 40 years, uh, I have been going to Big Sur. Anybody ever been to Big Sur? 40 years. Always in the same campground. Always. So I'm a creature of habit. But it's just so beautiful there. So we went again. The whole family went. Um, and and I always want to take a book to read. This year, by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm on Kindle now. I finally, I'm so technical that I finally gave up the books and to Kindle. So I took my Kindle and I loaded a book called The Deeper Journey. And uh, this was, turns out to be like the best book I could have read in this season of my life. And this is what Robert Mulholland says, uh, just a short quote. It says, the world will believe when it sees Christ-likeness manifested in our life. The world will know that God has sent Christ, not simply because we pronounce it to be so, but when they see Christ-likeness lived out in their midst, in our lives, in the world. Words, people hear words, 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 words all the time. But what do they see in me? And that's, that's kind of also been, you kind of see the connection between 1 Corinthians 13, the verses that we looked at, and this. God is just doing this major thing. Pastor Paul said, just come and talk about whatever God is doing in you. This is it. This is like, Ed, I want your attention. I want to take you to places you haven't been yet. You haven't even scratched the surface of where I want you to go. Would you say this morning that perhaps... You'd want some of that too? Can we ask the Lord for that? Can we ask him what our part is and what his part is? So Heavenly Father, we say yes to the divine initiative this morning. We respond with a yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you, Robert, for reading the passage already. This is one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories. In your bulletin, uh, there's a, an outline that you have for this passage. And uh, I love... I love who Naaman is, and I love the topic because there are so many insights into what's, what's going on inside of us, so, much, so many insights regarding our human nature in this man, Naaman, so many insights of how God works and what he requires of, of us so that he might do his work in us. And so, by the way, about 20-plus years ago, I was 
totally impacted by a seminary professor, probably the best in the world. I'm kind of biased in this statement, but probably the best in the world in healing prayer. And when we talk about healing prayer, we're talking not just about physical healing, but we're talking about that deep level stuff, the emotional healing. And then we're also talking about spiritual cleansing. If we've been involved with any kinds of stuff in our life outside of the Christian faith, maybe we've been involved in occult stuff, or, or maybe our parents dedicated us at a place outside of Christ. Maybe those kinds of things. So it was Dr. Charles Kraft who changed my life and ministry forever. And so, so Naaman really represents a, a miraculous healing of God, but there's so much more that's going on that we're going to look at together. So Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master. Notice that, great man and in high favor. What I want you to see is, is that, that, that he's a foreign king, he's a foreign leader, a, a high-ranking general, who's given great success, who has great popularity, who is used to a lot of attention. And, uh, and the, when the king says, man, I love this guy, Naaman, the kingdom is doing great in large part because of him. Probably you're thinking he could do no wrong. This guy, has, this guy is set, but the, but the verse continues. But by the way, look who gets the credit here according to uh, the writer here, because by him the Lord had given him given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but but he was a leper. Now, if you know anything about Israel, the children of Israel, and how they felt about leprosy, uh, we could go to Leviticus chapter fourteen, and there's an entire chapter dedicated to what you do with lepers. You know what you do with lepers, basically? You cast them out. You're not allowed to be in public. The, the, the population says you don't belong here. If for some reason you have to come into proximity of other people that are not lepers, you have to announce that you are unclean, unclean, so that people can move away from you. How does, how does it feel to be a leper? You are an outcast. You are unwanted. And you had to live outside of the city, outside of the village. You were not welcome on, as an insider. But here's Naaman in his country. And he's not only welcome, he's a celebrity there. Notice uh, there's a slide. Oh, you have an outline, right? It says Naaman projected the appearance of humility when in fact he was full of pride let's let's look at uh, let's look at verse beginning at verse 8 it says but when elisha the man of god heard that the king of israel had torn his clothes he sent the king now we jumped from verse 1 to verse 8 so what is happening here is that the king here is like what do i do since the king of syria is saying Go talk to the king of Israel so that your favorite guy over here, Naaman, can be healed of his leprosy. And the king is going to respond with his very emotional response. So here's this response. Uh, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. When do you tear your clothes? When somebody dies, when you're grieving, when your life is unraveling. He sent so Elisha sends word to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me. 
So for some reason, the king of Syria is thinking, if we send him to Israel, he can be healed. But the king has no real concept of God's power. And pretty much, Elisha's a neglected prophet, although he's a great prophet. Do you remember Elisha? He follows Elijah. What does Elisha ask for when, when Elijah's about ready to be done with his ministry? I want your spirit. I want more of your spirit. So probably in terms of miracles, we know Elijah for calling down fire from heaven. Remember that on Mount Carmel? But Elisha, if you unpack his life, you'll see the miracles that God does through him are remarkable. So he says to the king, let him come to me that he, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots. This scene, you have to visualize. This isn't one man and maybe somebody to carry his suitcase coming. You have to see that Naaman came with his army. Full pomp and circumstance. This was his entourage. This is the way the man moved in life. He had all of these people at his command. So he came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Can you imagine? There's everybody watching. He's got an audience. He comes to the door. Knock, knock, knock. He's used to being honored. And who comes to the door? The servant comes. The servant comes to the door. And how do you think Naaman took that? The text tells us. The text tells us. um, And Elijah sent a messenger, messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. Verse 11. But Naaman was angry. And he went away saying, Behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and, and call upon the name of the Lord, his God, and, and wave his hand over the place and, and cure the leper. So, so this is what I want you to capture here. He had it all figured out in his own mind how it was supposed to go down. Okay, let's pause there. Can we put ourselves in the story for a moment? Is there anything that you have come to God with and said, God, this is a crisis situation. This is time for you to engage. Now, here's how it's going to go down. Have we ever done that? Come on. Maybe a little bit. Yeah, good step, right? Cry out to God. That's, we've got to do that. But part of what Naaman does is really kind of like what we probably do also. We tell God how it's supposed to work. And if it doesn't work the way we think it's supposed to work, we become disappointed or maybe we become angry. This is just true of life, isn't it? This week has been a fairly quiet week, but the week before was perhaps one of the more difficult weeks I've had in ministry my entire life. The reason is that there were two boys. Did you hear about the two boys? who were killed in Yosemite. One of those families is a New Song family. Two days, it was Friday a.m., 5 a.m., that the two boys were crushed because a big branch fell down on the tent in Yosemite where the boys were sleeping. 20 feet away was the parents' tent. And two boys were killed instantly. Sunday morning, Two days after that, the family comes to church and they were grieving and unraveling 
in, in, with blood-curdling screams at times. And I sat with them out in our grass area. And then others came and we prayed. But it just tore your heart out. And that week was meeting with the family, preparing for the services for both of the 14-year-old boys, and then last Monday for just the one son whose family comes to our church. Very, very challenging. Do you think those parents had and still have many questions? Where is God in all of this? How could this happen? And you know, the, like them, many times we ask perhaps good questions, but the answer is not going to be make sense. In a nonsensical tragedy, how can an answer make sense? How can we figure out how God allowed this to happen? It was They were confused, they were hurt, and at times they were angry. We, oftentimes, when we don't know the answer, when we don't know how God works, it happens to us. We're confused and we want to lash out. So Naaman was angry. He thought he knew how it was supposed to go down. So there must have been a reason. There must have been a, a reason that, that, um, that Elisha was willing to insult this leader. And I think that the, the answer is actually here. In your outline, it says, he thought he had a skin condition. He thought he had a skin condition. You see, what Naaman was concerned about what was visible on the outside. In a way, as big of a deal as leprosy was, it was still a surface problem. And God does care about our surface problems. And oftentimes, God wants to heal us in our illnesses. And oftentimes, if not most of the time, we can be healed of some of the inner brokenness that, that we have and that we all have. And God is really good at that. But Naaman was only thinking that his problem was a skin condition when in truth he had a heart condition. He thought he had a skin condition when in truth he had a heart condition. You see, that's the reason why he responds in anger. The uh, late John Wimber, many people don't remember who he is anymore because you guys are so much younger than me. But some of us know that John Wimber is the main catalyst behind the entire vineyard movement. And I never got to meet John, but I got to hear him preach on the radio. And it, it has uh, been said by many who knew him and that I, that I know who knew him, that John would say sometimes, God will sometimes offend the mind in order to reveal the heart. See, God is wanting to do so much more than just what's on the outside, on the surface stuff. God wants to deal with our hearts. By the way, do you know your heart? Sometimes we think we do. But I get a lot of help from Isaiah 17, verses 9 and 10. Isaiah 17 says this, The heart is deceitful above all things. Familiar with this verse? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And then comes the answer in verse 10. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. 
I give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Who can understand it? Can I understand somebody else's heart? We kind of say this in the church sometimes. He has a good heart. She has a good heart. Or I see your heart. Okay. I, I get that. But the truth of the matter is we don't. We don't see other people's hearts and we don't even see our own. God does. So if we get a sense of what's going on, it's because we have divine revelation and we can receive that if we ask. The Holy Spirit can reveal to us what's going on. The Holy Spirit is who revealed to me that I had some junk that need that, and he needed to convict me to show me what's going on. But that wasn't me arriving at those conclusions. It had to be the Holy Spirit. Let's see. Let's go to the next section. Verse 13. But his servants came near and said to him, Oh, by the way, he was raging and he left. He, what, he came all this way. He wasn't going to do what Elisha told him to do because he was insulted and it wasn't going down the way he wanted to. And as he goes storming away, some servant person tells us had the presence of mind and courage to approach him. Very respectfully, my father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? It's a great word that you have received, Naaman. Why would you despise this great word? Too simple? Impacts your ego? By the way, I was recently taught something very important. I was talking with my cousin, who I admire so much. He lives up in Seattle. And actually, he's much older than me. He was actually closer to my dad's age. But we stay in touch. And uh, my cousin Ray said to me recently, you know, Ed, my ego is not my amigo. (laughs) Write that in your notes, man. (laughs) I have to remind myself that often. My ego is not my amigo. It gets me in trouble all the time. And when I try to protect my ego, I'm really saying I want to hold on to pride. And when I hold on to pride, I miss out on the work that God desires to do. The very thing that perhaps we're asking for, I'll miss out if I let pride stand in the way. So a servant came, wash and be clean. So what does he do? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Okay. It's a little bit kind of a ridiculous thing, actually. This doesn't really make sense. I'm sure he had the best of medical care that Syria could offer. Wash in this nasty river? It doesn't make sense. And sometimes God will ask us to do things that doesn't make sense. That's where he'll offend the mind to reveal the heart. He already knows the heart, but sometimes it needs to be revealed to us. See, the beautiful thing about Derwin's story is that that was happening. Did you hear the humility in his story? Did you hear the brokenness? Derwin, you're amazing. 
You said, I, I almost allowed my need to be right to destroy my relationship with my wife. Yeah, that is what I do too. You're not alone in that. So he went and he was clean. Naaman learned that his healing would not happen on his own terms. When we're willing to surrender the right. Oh, by the way, you know you have rights, but are you willing to surrender your right to have rights? If you're willing to do that, very cool things can begin to happen. I connect with several men every day. And one of the things that we do is we do daily renewals. And in one of those daily renewals, I surrender my right to be right and to convince people to believe as I believe. Oh, man, that's hard. But when I say those words, I am reinforcing that that's my commitment. That that's my commitment. Will you make it yours, perhaps? All right. Then he returned to the man of God, he and all his company. There he goes with his entourage. And he came and he stood before him. It looks like Elisha came out this time. And he said, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. He was going to make Elisha a very, very rich man. He was going to make him a very rich man. Um, But he said, Elisha says, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. He urged him to take it, but Elisha refused. Then Naaman said, if not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. From now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. I'm going to go here because, oh, did we do the last slide? Ah, did you see this one? No, because I'm not so good at PowerPoint yet, but it's okay. It's not too late. Surrendering his spirit of entitlement was the key for Naaman's transformation. What is entitlement, by the way? Entitlement is when someone who thinks something is owed them by life in general or because of who they are. You know one of the most one of the most difficult and yet important things that I need to pray for is for the Lord to show me where I have a spirit of entitlement. You want to talk about something that's humbling? I had a I had a situation yesterday with my wife. I would I had a question to ask my wife, and I knew that there was about a ninety percent chance it was going to go bad. <laughs> So what do we do when we think that's poss- a good possibility? Get all prayed up, man. Get all prayed up. And, and I was, thought I was pretty prayed up. And I went, and uh, sure enough, it went the way I thought it was. She wasn't mean or anything. She was kind. But it wasn't the answer I wanted. That's what it was. Not the answer I wanted. It wasn't a bad answer. And then, because I was all prayed up, I said, okay. And yet, through much of the day, I had to fight the entitlement. Why couldn't she give me the answer that I wanted? 
Oh, I hate the spirit of entitlement. Uh, by the way, I'm really good at picking it out on other people. <laughs> Not so good at picking it out on myself. All right, now we've already read that. All right. Why does, why does Naaman ask for dirt? Why does he ask for dirt? First, he's going to make him a rich man. He says, no, thanks. He says, then grant me this one request. Can I fill up my two donkeys with the earth of Israel? There really is a, an explanation that's really an important explanation. You, you have to understand, and, 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 and uh, not just in the ancient world, but actually this is true to this day. The local deities, all the pagans knew this, their local deities were confined to a specific place. They couldn't leave that specific place. Does that make sense? So if, if you were in this village, you had your own local deity. But when you went to a new place, you'd have to go and to the altar, the temple of that local deity. Wherever you went, it had its own kind of local deities. So in Naaman's mind, he came to Israel, Yahweh, the Lord. Whenever you see the Lord in caps in your Bible, it means the proper name of God, Yahweh. So Yahweh hangs out in Israel. I want to be a worshiper of Israel. But he's kind of confined to Israel, so he thought, give me some dirt so when I take it back to Syria, I could plop down and worship him there. Now, does the Apostle Paul mention this? That's that the same thinking? And is it true that the local deities, by the way, who are the local deities? Demonic spirits. What the Apostle Paul calls in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, um, principalities. Powers and authorities, those are the local demonic spirits, and they are confined, confined to one area. But here's what we want to see about Naaman. A true conversion happens. He's not going to go back to Syria and forget who healed him. He's going to be a follower of the true living God. Who does God heal? Maybe there's something that's going on in your thinking right now. And you're wondering, will God meet me in this? Will he do something for me? I want you to be thinking about this for a moment. I want to begin by saying God heals the willing. God heals the willing. I love the story. It's, it appears in three of the Gospels. But one of those places is Matthew 9. How many of you remember the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years? Remember that story? Remember it says in the text, she spent all of her resources to get well. She had nothing left and she never got well. You remember what she does? By the way, bleeding woman, like a leper, you stay out of town. You do not come into town. You don't touch anybody. You're going to come close to anybody. You better announce you are unclean. Very, very humiliating. This woman breaks all the rules. She comes down. She presses through the crowd meeting. She's touching people. Don't do that. She's not supposed to do that. She reaches out, lunges to touch the rabbi. Not supposed to touch the rabbi. And she gets her healing. Now, desperation and faith are not the same thing. But 
they often look a lot alike. Is your faith desperate faith? Remember this woman. She's one of my, one of my favorite heroes in the Gospels. That's what God's looking for, for us to engage our hearts, to be willing and to press in. In a sense, we must participate in our own healing. This is one of the areas in which God calls us into partnership with himself. Do you know that principle? It's the principle that God started in the Old Testament. Do you remember when the children of Israel, after wandering around in the wilderness for 40 years, he says, there's the land of promise. It is yours. I am giving it to you. Go on. Now fight for it. It's both. It's yours. I'm giving it to you. You participate. You fight for it. And I'll fight the battles for you. It's the same for us today. This Christian experience, this this faith that we have, it's not a passive thing. If you tend to lean a little passive, we have to engage. I'm calling you to engage this morning. I'm calling you to, to take a hold of it. And I say, I'm going to press it. I'm going to do my part. This is what I like to say. God always does all of his part. Would you agree to that? God always does all of his part, but he does not do our part. Trust me, he always saves a part for us. Also, I want to just mention as we close, generally speaking, we know what we want, but we oftentimes don't know what we need. But God does. So, would you be willing in this next moment or two to invite the Holy Spirit to search your heart for the deeper work that he desires to do in your life, in your marriage, in your relationship with your kids, your parents, your colleagues, your boss, your friends in your community, would you just maybe bow for a moment? Heavenly Father, we create a few moments of space to honor you and to ask this question. What is it that you want to do? Lord, our, our thoughts are so filled with what we want, but Lord, what do we need? Would you reveal that? Would you shine a light where we don't even know there's darkness? Will you show us, Lord, where our own egos have gotten in, in the way of something that we were, were hanging on to? We're hanging on to rights. We're hanging on to a spirit of entitlement in that area. We invite the conviction of the Holy Spirit as a call into deeper intimacy with you. Lord, we're tired of, of just living on the superficial level. We're, we're so preoccupied with what our skin looks like and you care about our hearts. Lord, we all in this room need a healing touch from you. We invite you, Lord. We say yes. We say yes to the divine initiative. And we respond with yes to you, whatever it is. And in this, Father, in this, we declare that you are good. That you are so good.
even when we don't understand, even when we're confused, even when we're in pain, you are good. And we are loved. You see us, and we are loved. And that is who we are. Amen.